According to Nietzsche, there are two different types of people in the world. Those who want to know, and those who want to believe. You have arrived at the crossroads of mind and matter. The Midnight Academy with Dr. Heather Lin. As the clock strikes midnight, our school bell tolls. Class at the Midnight Academy is now in session. Good evening. Welcome to the Midnight Academy. This is your host, Dr. Heather Lynn. Tonight I'm interviewing Marcia Sims and Dr. Bernard Heisch. Their new book, The Miracle of Our Universe, A New View of Consciousness, God, Science, and Reality, is available now for pre-order. Astrophysicist Dr. Bernard Heisch is the author of over 130 scientific publications. After earning his PhD from the University of Wisconsin in Madison, Heisch did postdoctoral research at the Joint Institute for Laboratory Astrophysics, the University of Colorado at Boulder, and the University of Utrecht, the Netherlands. His professional positions include staff scientist at the Lockheed Martin Solar and Astrophysics Laboratory, deputy director of the Center for Extreme Ultraviolet Astrophysics at the University of California, Berkeley, and visiting scientist at the Max Planck Institute for Extraterrestrial Physics in Germany. He was a scientific editor for the Astrophysical Journal for 10 years. Prior to his career in astrophysics, he was a student for the Catholic priesthood. Marcia Sims has a multidisciplinary background and years of experience interfacing with business, supporting scientists and their projects, and immersing herself in the music world. She has a music degree from the University of California, Santa Barbara, and a master's degree from Notre Dame de Nemur University. She has served as administrator and department secretary at Lockheed Martin Palo Alto Research Laboratory, executive editor at the Journal of Scientific Exploration, and administrator at California Institute for Physics and Astrophysics. She is a music teacher of voice, piano, and guitar at her own company and sings opera since 2009. Marcia and Bernard are a husband and wife team and work on many projects together, including songwriting, they performed together in a few operettas, teaming up on the energy science company Jovian Corporation, and writing this book. Bernard and Marcia live in the San Francisco Bay Area. They share three children, Catherine, Taylor, and Elizabeth, and two grandsons, James and William. Marcia and Bernard's book is a new model of reality. They propose that we are not just biological machines, but rather conscious immortal beings who co-create a virtual reality together with a great cosmic consciousness known as God. They propose that the root reality does not consist of physical stuff. The one and only thing that does exist is consciousness and its thoughts. Our consciousness is literally a piece of God. The hypothesis presented in this book is that our physical universe of matter and energy is actually a virtual simulation which is thought into existence by a universal consciousness, one either vast beyond our wildest imagination or possibly even infinite and eternal. It's a great honor to have you both on the show today. Thank you so much for being here. What is the uh, so-called miracle of our universe? I'll turn it over to you, right. Sims. Yeah, well... So that's the best and most important question you can ask us. 
what is the miracle of our universe and what are our views on consciousness, God, science, and reality? Well, the hypothesis we presented in this book is that our seemingly physical universe of matter and energy is a cosmic simulation. It's a virtual reality. Uh, it's brought into existence by the thoughts of a universal consciousness that is vast beyond our wildest imagination and perhaps infinite and eternal. Uh, what is the force behind the existence of our universe? We call this cosmic consciousness God or creator. God is a spirit or also can be identified as the source, the source of all existence. We've devised a self-consistent model of reality to explain life and its purpose and what it might be like in the afterlife. We've set up a simulation with models of how God and science can coexist. We propose a model of God that starts with the premise that at first there was nothing. In the beginning was the Logos, and we read about this in John chapter 1, verse 1. The Logos was with God, and God was the Logos, and Logos was the God. Logos is a Greek word that means the expression of a thought. There are many subtle differences in the usages of the word, but its interpretation as an expression of thought is particularly relevant for a God model. God created the universe with an energy of love. This love is not just a warm, fuzzy feeling, but it's actually a really powerful force. This idea is proposed by a number of saints and mystics. There is an infinitely great power of love, which makes things happen with a force greater than any we know of in physics. Yes, at some level, the laws of physics are subordinate to the laws of love. This is a, a little difficult for a, a scientist to, uh, to grasp because we were used to sit thinking of forces as being very different things. You have electromagnetic forces, gravitational force, and these, these all have a certain, a certain essence that we've, scientists learn, have learned to, to recognize. But love is a force. That, that is something that it's going to take some getting used to from people who do uh, uh, some sort of uh, uh, physicalistic interpretations of reality. So let, let's move on. But love is being a, a real working material in this, in this uh, universe of ours. Very important and very hard to grasp. Is there, is there a way that that could be measured? Love can be measured. Uh, okay. It can be measured in the way we interact with uh, our emotions. I think, but that you can't measure that in a lab. You can't measure it in a test tube. But you can measure it because you experience it, but it has to be a personal measurement. But we all experience different kinds of love, you know, through our relationships, our relationship to our spouse, to our sweethearts, to our children, to our parents, to my students. I'm a music teacher. So I guess that's, uh, and it gets measured in what you receive back, because I believe that you get back what you put out. So you put out love. You really try to love, be compassionate and understanding and patient, and then you get that love back. Anything you want to add to that? Well, 
to understand you know, that kind of approach, you have to really uh, understand how consciousness creates reality, and rather than the other way around. And consciousness is, is a tool for creating reality, and as such, I would see that love acts on love comes out of consciousness as a creative force. And that, at this point, is about as much as I can say about it because there is no real scientific model of, uh, of, of love as a force. It's probably going to get a lot of flack from people, but I think that's really, we're getting down to the, the root level of reality. I think it's consciousness. And it's not too difficult to, to imagine consciousness uh, um, being at some, at some point measured and quantified. Yeah. Yeah. What, go ahead. What, go ahead. What, is, what is your definition of consciousness? Oh, that's interesting. Uh, There's many definitions and ways to approach that. Yeah, well, we can tell you what consciousness is. It's a bit difficult to give a definition, but it's uh, an awareness, would you say, Bernie? The great awareness? We say the cosmic awareness. Right, the cosmic yeah. awareness of itself as a creative thing. Consciousness can create, and it creates uh, at, the, uh, at the will of God. I mean, God is the, the keeper of consciousness. In fact, God is consciousness. I should make that clear at the outset. We should view consciousness as being identical with the uh, what God is and what God does in creating a, a universe of, of opportunities is to uh, is to use his consciousness to make to make things happen and uh, that's about as much as I can say about it because it hasn't been quantified in any more realistic uh, or physicalistic I should say way okay well I do want to say that um this consciousness, this universal cosmic consciousness, created the universe uh, by thinking everything into existence. And it created a virtual reality, and it creates it with us because we're more than just biological machines. We are actually conscious immortal beings who co-create this virtual reality with the great cosmic consciousness. Suppose God would Decided he would like to, he might just spend a weekend skiing. God going up this year and skiing. Well, you can't do that as a spirit. I mean, cheerleaders do not carry spirits up to you know, the top of the mountain. And uh, there's no way that God, as, you know, as, as he is, uh, can, can ski down a mountain. But he's got the capability of transforming a part of himself into a, a skier. And he can go down the slopes as much, much as he wants. It's his ability to make anything that he imagines become real, real, real in the sense at least that it affects us in a real way, and not, not that it's real itself, but that it really affects us through its power. So that is the reason that God would want to uh, use this power of thought and, and consciousness to make things happen, and then understand what, what his universe is like and, and how great he is as a, the creator of this, and, and just enjoy it, I suppose. Yeah, and so yeah, he, God seeks to evolve himself, itself, herself, through the free will exercised by the beings that inhabit the universe, and that includes us and all the animals on the planet. Uh, and we believe it's to create experiences for himself. In this virtual universe, literally everything is consciousness in action, and we and other creatures are offspring of this universal consciousness. And our role is to be its eyes and ears, and we are sparks of this great consciousness. Wow, that's that's beautifully said. Um, 
kind of reminds me of, uh, you know, the idea that we were created in God's image, um, that maybe a part of us has that creative spark. And that's, you know, given that we have free will, we're able to use our consciousness to also create and have these experiences. So, I you know, I'm going to counter this concept of the uh, God is a all powerful and able to create whatever he wants. Back when I was in catechism in grade school, back in the first grade, the God's power. And so the, the notion that God is the uh, creator of everything, and not just that, but that he, he enters into everything that is and makes it his own. And then at the end of time, remember I mean, however many billion years that is, everything will flow back into God. And so all the experiences that he's, you know, um, I guess you're, you know, spatter up, you know, something right where all the things he, that he has uh, made to happen, he can re-experience and thereby know what his own abilities and his own power is and, and that of the creatures that he's made, which are us, you and me. It's all in his memory is what you were trying to say. That's right. I mean, everything that happened is there as part of his memory and it's part of everything that was and is and will be. That's right, yeah. So it's like uh, this great intelligence. What's the, what would be the difference between this idea and intelligent design, so to speak. Oh, if, uh, there are some similarities that Bertie's written about that. I yeah. think that uh, one of the things that's similar is that there are 10 concepts of the physical universe that are perfectly consistent for the existence of life on our planet. And it's very uh, evident that uh, Everything is fine-tuned to work together, to create a reality, to create create our Earth, to create us, to create the beings, to create life. And Bernie talked about that extensively in his book, The Purpose-Guided Universe. I mean, I could list those fine-tuning elements if you'd like me to. It's actually not too long. Let me pull that. Because this is really interesting. They're, I mean, they are science principles, so they might be a little deep, but I'll read it. Uh, the ratio of the gravitational to the electric Coulomb force. Uh, stronger gravity would result in smaller stars with shorter life. Smaller gravity would not have Earth the way it is. Things wouldn't, physical universe wouldn't work together as a unit the way it does. There's the strength of the nuclear force powering stars, the average density of matter in the universe, the ratio of ordinary matter to dark matter, not too large the strength of dark energy. I told you this is technical. Right, Quantum clubbiness in the moments after the Big Bang. Oh, I'm almost done, Bernie. Just right conditions for, this is important. Just right conditions for formation of carbon and oxygen. Mm. That's what sustains life here. We need oxygen, that's for sure. That's the biggest yeah. of organic life. And here's another one. Unusual properties of water compared to other liquids. Like our boiling point is unusually high. That allows water to remain in its liquid form for biological structures to exist. And uh, the unusual property of it being less dense when it's frozen, like ice cubes float. Hey, we wouldn't have cocktails. That's right. <laughs> We'd have to drink warm drinks. Exactly right, yes. <laughs> fact that the neutron, this is hard, the neutron is slightly heavier than the proton, 
Okay, and the minute imbalance of matter over antimatter. Okay. Okay. Well, so it's so, quite a yeah. miracle that life is quite a miracle, then, isn't it? It is. It, it is. is a miracle. And it's, this has been a hot topic in astronomy now for a little, little over a decade. It asked the question: Well, what would things be like here if they were just slightly different in some cases, or would they not be at all? Would it not be impossible for a solar system with uh, with these laws being what they are? It could be uh, not it could be impossible for them to do that. Make things happen because they have the wrong ratios or don't work together. So, a uh, universe that has a this the right characteristics can probably become a real uh, vibrant place for life to develop. So, do you have anything to say about uh, why our theory is not intelligent design? My, I I haven't really studied intelligent design, but. Um, my conception of it is that it's very mainstream Christian uh, that was developed hundreds of years ago, and there, you know, very strict rules that go along with the development of the Bible. So, I mean, we have wrapped up with a lot of theology and that sort of thing yeah. and dogmatic principles, but there are, you know, people now are trying to intermingle the idea of intelligent design with simulation theory and and you know this idea of a holographic universe and so um so the but the so that was something that struck me too um you write about the simulation hypothesis what what is, exactly is the simulation hypothesis well it's the uh the and the fundamental um question of whether we are characters inside a simulated reality that is so well rendered that we cannot distinguish it from physical reality. Right. I mean, we're, we're sitting here talking to you now and talking to us. Um, this is a, uh, this, how should I say this? Let me turn it over. Well, okay. Uh, so let's, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. let's move in. Um, so the atom used to be considered a miniature solar system with electrons orbiting a nucleus. It is now viewed more abstractly as a nucleus being surrounded by clouds of probability. Uh, here's a really interesting thing. When you sit in your favorite armchair, you are actually being supported by clouds of probability. Probabilities are numbers that govern physics in our world. In the book, we developed the idea that matter-based universe can be replaced by a number-based universe. This leads us to the like likelihood that reality is a simulation. So that's how we get that idea. And there are two famous scientists that had that idea also. There's Heisenberg. He saw atoms and elementary particles themselves as potentialities rather than as things and facts. Hmm. They themselves are not real. They form a world of probabilities. Then the British cosmologist Sir Martin Rees pointed out, In the beginning, there were only probabilities. Sounds like the logos to me. The universe could only come into existence if someone observed it. It doesn't matter that observers turned up several billion years later. The universe exists because we are aware of it. Isn't this mind-boggling? This is I like <laughs> yes, I I love that because I kept thinking with the all of the probability and possibilities. Then it, it just struck me as there would need to be uh, you know an observer, the observer effect, and how that would work and how that would interplay with this. And so, but you brought up that that a very good point that now has me wondering: 
if there is nobody there to observe it, then how did it come to be? You know, it's like that proverbial um, allegory about if a tree falls tree. in the forest. Exactly. Does it yeah. really make a crash if there's no one there to hear it or no one there to see it? Did it really fall? I would say that uh, I would have joked, joked about this uh, not too long ago, but I do think now truly that uh, um, the, the creation of a reality comes about when not when being, a living being, interacts with it. And that's what makes it go from being a potential thing, which is sort of half and half is not there, it's kind of in a, in a half and half state, to a real thing happening, will arise, that comes from observing it. And so I would have to say virtually that uh, if there's no one around to saw it, see the tree fall, it probably does not fall. But then again, we couldn't we couldn't test that because if we tested that, what kind of test would it be? It would fall because we're looking for it. So you, you kind of have no way around the fact that you have this uh, uh, requirement that's, that uh, reality is created. It's a created thing. That's the, the whole uh, basis of the, the philosophy we're talking about here and why this is something that has a greater staying power, greater, greater uh, uh, coherence than, than the, the statistical, well, there, statistical, the statistical what? Statistical ways. The statistical ways. Um, you know, I, I would like to add here that um, Bernie, uh, after a, a long career uh, at the forefront of science as a um, astrophysicist, was diagnosed with Parkinson's when he retired. So he does have some difficulty speaking, although I'm really proud of him. He's doing a great job here. But if he stumbles a little bit, I'll just try to help pick it up. And um, that is why primarily that I became co-author of the book, because um, most of these ideas originally were his. I helped him develop them and uh, gather all his ideas together developed a table of contents, put everything together, wrote transitions, and turned the manuscript into a book. He'd been working on these ideas for at least five years. So I think he's doing an amazing job. Oh, absolutely. And you know, you, you are too, Marcia, you're doing a really good job because you're a musician, as you mentioned. Yeah. I just, I just have to put... I, uh, I'm actually a musician as well. I play the French horn and I sing alto and I play a couple other instruments in a, in a local little symphony. But uh, so I love music. So a fellow musician. But I have to say, what a complimentary relationship, a musician and a scientist. And you're coming together to have these, you know, the, the ideas and working them out together like that. It's just I, I, I it's just magical, magical. So. I'm, I'm very excited to have you on again, but um, very complimentary to each other. Have you found that to be the case or well, there's, there's, in your own discussions? There's yeah. an interesting uh, uh, thing in, in, in out of uh, the, uh, the world, the world of, of universities uh, almost a thousand years ago. Um, they, they had certain uh, uh, oh. majors you could take. You know, not majors like we have today, but, but different ones. It turns out that... The, the, the quadratic... What was the quadratic something like the trivium and the quadratic yeah the trivium and the yeah. the classic liberal arts yes and yeah, and yeah. It's just two that were the highest of the two were music and astronomy music and astronomy yeah that was the pinnacle of the knowledge of of the uh, say uh, 12th century and then, 
Yes. Yeah, we tie that together actually when we're talking about the mathematical uh, elements of the universe, about the strong mathematical elements in music, which I wrote that section. And uh, I mean, I could talk about it right now. Yeah, that'd be great because you know, okay. math is 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 music is math, and and you know, so absolutely, and I don't think a lot of people quite comprehend that um, until they are maybe taking music theory, and then they walk in and say, "Wait a minute, <laughs> what did I sign up for?" Um, okay. Well, first of all, I just want to talk about um, the idea of math being the basis for the universe. That goes back to Plato and Pythagoras, who believed that in addition to the physical world we perceive, there is also a real world of mathematical forms, uh, mathematical concepts like pi, the ratio of the circumference of a circle to its diameter, or the speed of light, 186,000 miles per second. So music is closely tied to this concept of the mathematical forms through its use of harmonics and all the other elements of music. Johann Sebastian Bach, the father of modern music, devised a system of tuning that is based on mathematics. In this system, the 12 notes of the octave of the standard keyboard are tuned in such a way that it's possible to play music in all major or minor keys without sounding perceptibly out of tune because each step is the 12th root of two. There are 12 half steps in an octave. Other aspects, oh, and I, I need to say the musical alphabet goes A, B, C, D, E, F, G. So each one of those spaces between the alphabetical letter is the 12th root of two. Interesting how people don't actually think of it about about it that way, but you do if you play piano because you see all the half steps on the keyboard. Uh, so other aspects of music, such as rhythm, time signature, and other notations are also mathematical. So the mathematical nature of music makes me wonder personally whether God uses music as a mathematical expression through sound. Or is it possible that music is mathematical because the universe was designed by a pure mathematician? Music has the greatest influence on us of anything abstract in the world. It undergirds all of society. It is impossible to get away from it because